all the time. The turkeys' heads are so ugly. Yeah, it's really. It's almost like it was. We could make him into a small elephant. <laughs> an elephant. Yeah, it's a trunk. That oh, because it does look like a trunk. You're right, Looks but like it doesn't elephant. have a purpose. Nope. Nope, we're not going to do the trunk now, but we're not going to erase it from the picture either. We're just going to leave it there. Ugly. I think I heard you describe the turkey head as a blood clot the other day. Yeah. Welcome to the Winnie and Bill Chat Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 2, and we're calling this one Be the Light. Hello, I'm Winnie, and that was my husband, Bill, and we are owners of Quiet Shutter Fine Art and Photography. The way we like to do our podcast is we will post some images to our Instagram account, which is Quiet Shutter Photo. And we will talk about those photos and tell you the backstory or what went into making that image or whatever comes to mind. So you can either follow along with the pictures as we talk about them, or you can check them out later on. Before we get going, I want to thank Anchor Podcasting Platform. It's a free podcast platform that you can access from the internet or an app on your smartphone. Uh, You can make a podcast for free. If we can do it, you can do it. So thanks, Anchor. Thank you, Anchor. We also want to thank our son, Andy, and you can find him on Instagram at Outdoor Andy TV. He helped us get hooked up with our audio. So he is our sound engineer. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, sir. And also we'll thank the Caffeine Creek Band for our season two theme music that we found at Pixabay. Thank you to all the boys in the band. <laughs> so today we're going to talk. Um, we're going to talk about how to be the light in America. We got a little patriotic theme going on today because we're all uh, pumped up on afterglow from the inauguration of the new president that took place last week. Yes, yes, he did. <laughs> it seems like it was. A month ago from all the it work they got done already. It was just a week ago today. So um, the thing that inspired us, we for season two, we have decided that we would start each podcast with something that inspired us. And that might be an image, it might be a quote, might be something that happened. But this week, what really inspired us and what surprised us was that we were so taken with the young poet who recited her original poem at the inauguration last week. You were particularly impressed, weren't you, Bill? I definitely was. I thought that she uh, was the (laughs) shining star of the day, quite honestly. Absolutely. So if you go to our first image on Instagram, and this is not a picture that we took ourselves. This is one that I harvested off the internet. And this is, young Amanda Gorman, only 22 years old, who was selected to be the poet at the inauguration. I don't know how long having a poet at an inauguration was, but it's been going on for lots and lots and lots of years. Have you paid very much attention in the past to the poet at other inaugurations? No. There have been some famous ones. Maybe they're all famous, but notable ones to me are Maya Angelou, and Robert Frost. But generally speaking, when it gets down to the poet part of the inauguration, they've kind of lost my attention. Yep. It's usually time to go do something else at that point. But this gal was a firecracker. Do you want to describe the picture here a little bit? The picture um, is actually uh, a close-up image of Amanda at the... uh, podium as she was reciting her poem at the inauguration of joe biden and she is a shining bright 
star. Yes, <laughs> she was wearing a bright yellow blazer, um, real bright red head headband, and uh, her colors popped out. Yeah. If you notice in the photograph, um, she's wearing a pair of gold hoop earrings and a very unique ring on her finger that looks like a birdcage. Yes. Those were actually gifts from Oprah Winfrey. Evidently, Oprah Winfrey has um, a particular interest in poetry, and uh, she pays attention who the poets are for the inaugurations. When Maya Angelou was the poet for oh, whose inauguration was for Barack Obama, I believe, she sent Maya Angelou a, a Chanel coat and gloves, which she wore at the inauguration. So she gifted some jewelry to young Amanda Gorman. That's very nice. So in a minute, I will read Amanda's poem to you. It was much better if you heard her recite it. And actually, if you're, if you're so inclined, I would encourage you to go on YouTube or somewhere and actually view her reciting her poem because she d will do it much better than I will read it. But um, there are some notable things about her. First of all, that she's young, 22, and she grew up in Los Angeles, California, where she was um, the first ever National Youth Poet Laureate. Wow. And she, this girl has achieved really so many things in her lifetime already at 22. I think she's a student at Harvard. Is that correct, Bill? That's what remember? I heard. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I heard an interview with her and she said that she learned that she had been chosen to be the poet at the inauguration on a Zoom meeting, like <laughs> how we find all of our information anymore. And I had heard that she was, you know, had her poem almost completed before the uh, mob attacked the um, Capitol building the week before the inauguration. And she, I don't know if she scrapped the whole poem and started over but she definitely reworked it in light of the current events. Yeah. From what I understand, she um, had uh, finished the poem like on Sunday night before the, the inauguration that was on Wednesday. So um, it was uh, yeah. finished last minute just so that she could get um, some extra things into them that were so timely and, it was and on point. Really was impressive. Yeah. yeah. And her delivery was so polished, yes. you know, for something that had just been finished in such a short time. I guess, though, if you were picked to recite something at the inauguration, you'd probably spend every minute practicing it. <laughs> She's probably time. recited poetry quite a bit. Yes. Yeah. She was just a very impressive young woman. One to keep your eye on, I think. Yeah. Yeah. She inspired us. Her message was definitely inspiring. Okay, here's a poem by Amanda Gorman. The Hill We Climb. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace, and that norms and notions of what just is isn't always justice. And yet, the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow, we do it. Somehow, we weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country and a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother, can dream of becoming president, only to find herself reciting for one. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine. But that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge our union with purpose. To compose a country committed to all culture, cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man. And so we lift our gaze, not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our, for, our future first. We must first put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true. That even as we grieved, we grew. 
that even as we hurt, we hoped, that even as we tried, we tried, that we'll forever be tied together victorious, not because we will never again know defeat, but because we will never again sow division. Scripture tells us to envision that everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree and no one shall make them afraid. If we're to live up to our own time, then victory won't lie in the blade, but in all the bridges we've made. That is the promise to glade the hill we climb, if only we dare. It's because being American is, is more than a pride we inherit. It's the, the past we step into and how we repair it. We've seen a force that would shatter our union rather than share it would destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy. And this effect very nearly succeeded. This effort very nearly succeeded. But while democracy can periodically be delayed, it can never be permanently defeated. In this truth, in this faith, we trust. For while we have our eyes on the future, history has its eyes on us. This is the era of just redemption. We feared at its inception. We did not feel prepared to be the heirs of such a terrifying hour, but within it we found the power to author a new chapter, to offer hope and laughter to ourselves. So while once we asked how could we possibly prevail over catastrophe, now we assert how could catastrophe possibly prevail over us. We will not march back to what was, but move to what shall be a country that is bruised, but whole, benevolent, but bold, fierce, and free. We will not be turned around or interrupted by intimidation because we know our inaction and inertia will be the inheritance of the next generation because the future, our blunders become their burdens. But one thing is certain. If we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy and change our children's birthright. So let us leave behind a country better than the one we were left. Every breath from my bronze-pounded chest, we will raise this wounded world into one, a wondrous one. We will rise from the golden hills of the west. We will rise from the wind-swept northeast where our forefathers first realized revolution. We will rise from the lake-rimmed cities of the Midwestern states. We will rise from the sun-baked south. We will rebuild, reconcile, and recover. And every known nook of our nation and every corner called our country, our people, diverse and beautiful, will emerge battered and beautiful. When day comes, we step out of the shade of flame and unafraid. The new dawn balloons as we free it, for there is always light. If only we're brave enough to see it. If only we're brave enough to be it. So we've decided that our podcast today would be um, iconic things, um, things you think about when you think about America and places and things that we have seen that make us feel proud of America. And um, so I kind of went back through our photos and these, the photos that we're going to share today span quite a bit of time, actually. And so let's go to our first photo, Bill, or I guess our second. This is a first, first of our, of our own. own. Oh, yes. The American Eagle. Right. So the first picture I've chosen of our images is a portrait, if you will, of an American bald eagle. Um, just a picture of basically his head, right? Head and shoulders, yep. Neck. Do birds have shoulders? I guess they have. Sure they do. Well, wings. <laughs> so this, I, I don't recall 100% for sure where we took this picture of this eagle. We've taken pictures of eagles a lot. And they never fail, right? They never fail to impress us that, you know, we see an eagle in a tree, man, we turn around and. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever we're anywhere close enough to uh, get a, get a decent picture of them, we turn around and take some time and 
a lot of times they they're pretty amenable. They they don't tend to get threatened by people. I don't think they're afraid of us, really. (laughs) No, no. Um, Obviously, if you get too close to them, they probably just fly off. But often we find eagles close to roadkill on the highway. Right. And they're very reluctant to leave that. Right. You know, free meal. Right. Um, the um, bald eagle is the national bird and it fe- is featured on the, the United States official seal, which was, let me look in my notes. It was created in 1742. Close. 1782. Oh. Shortly after the Declaration of Independence. So I don't, I'm just staring at this bald eagle picture. Boy, if you can, if you can look at this picture big, um, the detail in it is really quite phenomenal. The, all the little, all the little hairs and the individual little feathers and his um, yellow beak is all scraped up from living life. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you have the ability to really zoom in close on the eyeball, you get. We even picked up eyelashes and stuff on this bird. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's a How great the picture. Details really popped out on this one. Yeah, the uh, um the bald eagles look. I mean, I can see why they chose it to be the national bird. It looks very stately and regal. They look strong and foreboding or maybe foreboding is not intimidating maybe is the word domineering yeah yeah they're a a special looking bird but um did you know that when they were going through the process of creating the national seal benjamin franklin was not that impressed shocker um he wrote a letter to his daughter at the time he was complaining that he wasn't crazy about the bald eagle he thought that um, the turkey <laughs> um, would be a better symbol. Well, I don't know that he was advocating it. He was comparing it, though. And he wrote to his daughter that the turkey is a much more respectable bird and uh, with all a true original Native American. He is, besides, though, a little bit vain and a little bit silly, a bird of courage. He went on to say that he felt that eagles were opportunists and maybe a bit lazy. So, (laughs) I mean, I kind of get what he's saying. Anytime we've seen bald eagles, they're taking advantage of a free meal that either was a roadkill or somebody else's fresh kill. Yeah, yeah. they'll eat salmon that are dead. They'll, you know, they they are opportunists. When we were in Yellowstone this past um, fall, there was a, a a big, a huge grizzly bear that had killed an elk in the river and then spent the next several days on the side of the river eating the elk and sleeping and eating and sleeping and chasing off wolves and ravens. Right. And, right. and uh, we got to go a couple different days and observe this and take pictures. And a couple of bald eagles flew in thinking they'd get a free meal. Yeah. But they looked at that grizzly bear. And they went, no. That's we'll come league. back later. Yeah. We'll come back for the scraps. I'm sure he's leaving at some point. <laughs> so Benjamin Franklin thought the turkey would be a better. Well, at least he thought the turkey might be a little bit better, more American than the bald eagle. So if you go to our next photo, Bill. I wonder if he thought maybe it was just more common. Ah, yeah. This is a, a Tom turkey. Um we took a picture of uh, over in the nature reserve over by Harbor Springs, Michigan, actually. Yeah. Actually, this was in the parking lot. Yes. This turkey, I mean, turkeys, hmm, I can't decide if I want to describe turkeys as being beautiful or being ugly. Because they're, this Well, turkey, they're both. It depends on what part of the turkey you're looking at, I <laughs> right. guess. Right. This turkey in this picture is all fluffed out his tail is all spread out his feathers are all fluffed out um and turkey feathers re- you know, they're sort of iridescent they have a lot of color to of them yeah depending on what part of the bird they're just different um patterns and everything they're they're pretty pr- impressive it comes to really impressive color Big, of beautiful 
they display, they prance around. Yeah. But then you look at their head. Yeah. And then they're like, what happened there? <laughs> what did happen I did there? This on the back and these nice feathers. I'm out okay. of time. You can't even say business up front and party in the back. Or this is like beauty queen in the back and horror movie. Yeah. It's a two for one special. It's awful. So a turkey's head is there's no feathers on it. Not no, like the beautiful bald eagle. Ugly skin. That's now they, when they're in breeding season, which the males think is year round, um, their heads actually turn blue when they're trying to really impress a girl. Bright red and blue. Yeah. Yeah. And if it wasn't for the goofy, the, this picture you can see what they call the waddle is is a big old chunk of skin that flops off the side i do not see the purpose in that yeah I, I don't know i mean it covers hangs over their beak like when they eat and stuff that waddle must totally get in the way it's like a it's like a person that's got a haircut where the hair is in their face all the time and they got to fling their head to get their hair all the, time. <laughs> the turkey's heads are so ugly yeah it's really it's almost like it was we could make him into a small elephant. <laughs> an elephant? Yeah, it's a trunk. Oh, because it does look like a trunk. You're right, Looks but like it doesn't elephant. have a purpose. Nope. Nope. An we're elephant. not going to do the trunk now, but we're not going to erase it from the picture either. We're just going to leave it there. ugly. I think I heard you describe the turkey head as a blood clot yeah. the other day. Yeah. Yeah, they're ugly. The turkey heads are ugly. They're like almost like a vulture, a Turkey vultures. Well, I guess that's why they call that's them a turkey they, vulture. That's why they call them turkey vultures because they got that ugly, ugly head, head. On too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, in our previous home in Sheboygan, Michigan, we used to have turkeys that would come into our yard all the time. We had a couple of beech trees, and they would come in and eat the beech nuts that had fallen to the ground. And uh, it was fun to watch them. The um, tom turkeys, when they spread their tails out and strut around like that, they actually make their feathers kind of make noise. Yeah, they, they're a lot like, uh, the display is a lot like, uh, for any of you that have been to a zoo and observed the peacocks that uh, display their big tail feathers and they shake their feathers and it makes a vibrating noise. Turkeys do the same thing, not quite the same noise, but uh, a lot of the same mannerisms um the turkey and the peacock actually yeah they you know bald, bald eagles can sit on a branch in a tree and attract a lot of attention just sitting there the turkey puts an effort into it yeah <laughs> i will not be ignored <laughs> we used to in our house in sheboygan we had windows that were very close to the ground and, and male turkeys would walk by and catch a glimpse of their reflection and then attack their reflection. And they would peck at the window. And we had to replace a window because the turkey had pecked it yeah, so much. It scraped it go, up. What's that noise? Oh, my God. The turkeys are bad. Just pounding on the window with their beaks. Yeah. And their waddle. <laughs> turkeys are a bit silly. Yeah. But a very American bird. Oh, yeah. They've been around forever. Yeah. And, and um, uh, when we celebrate Thanksgiving and we envision what what a traditional American Thanksgiving looks like. Generally, there's a turkey on the table. They were eating turkey. They were eating turkey. We ate a wild turkey. One year you had a turkey license when you used to hunt. Yep. And you shot a, I I've, remember I've it, you shot, shot a, a turkey. Them, actually, yeah. Um, and I think you shot it with your bow and arrow. Yep. And it was Easter morning. Yep. Because we were getting ready to go to church and Just you saw a turkey. Before we go to church, hold on a second. I got to yeah. do something. <laughs> Hold my coffee. I got to go kill a turkey. Yeah. So we had that for Thanksgiving that year. Shared it with your mom and dad and your extended family. Yeah. And it was good, actually. It was yeah, like they, having an all dark meat turkey. Yeah, they don't. The Yeah, wild turkeys don't really have white meat, per se. They're pretty much all dark meat. And uh, yeah, we. I mean, you just skin them and throw them in a baking bag. So there's, uh, uh, but they are pretty good tasting actually when when i first married you and moved to michigan there were no wild turkeys and it was just a few years i think after we were married that they reintroduced turkeys to michigan yeah and for a few years people were um 
actually paid to feed them during the winter so they would survive the winter. Oh, I didn't know that. Why didn't they yeah. pay us? Well, we didn't apply for a permit. That's silly. Yeah. We had, we had a bunch of them around. We didn't actually, the neighbors fed them their bird feeders and stuff was why we had so many around, I think. Well, our beech nut trees really, they love that. Oh yeah. Yep. They eat a lot of beech nuts and they eat it in, in the summer. They eat a lot of insects. Actually. They certainly but, have survived in Michigan and yeah. made a great comeback. So that's, yeah. that's a great American story. Yep. Let's move to our next All photo. Right. And this picture, Bill. This picture is actually uh, a picture of the uh, train that runs into the Grand Canyon. Um, and trains are certainly a, a big thing in the history of the United States. Yeah, as I was going through our photos from the last few years, um, I came across this one of the Grand Canyon Rail Railway Railroad. And I thought I would I would add that into this podcast because the making of the railroad is quite intricate to the history of of the settling of America, right? Oh yeah, it uh, it really changed people's being able to actually travel um, any length of time without taking a half a year to go to right to uh, on a wagon train, a wagon covered train wagon, and, <laughs> and wondering. What was going to kill you on the way? And but the, um, I mean, if if we really dove into it, the railroad changed the economy and industry across the country. But I think there was probably a lot of shenanigans that went along with it. The companies that made money and oh yeah, um, they they well they didn't call them slaves, but they were indentured servants that were that pretty built, much the, built the the tracks the railroads. Yeah, 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 they were. Um, they not they weren't built on good union jobs or anything, but um, they certainly did. They it allowed people to to uh, move freight so much better than a. And a although wagon there, train. there's not trains in northern Michigan anymore, but when we travel out west to see our daughter, there are there still is a lot of rail traffic for shipping. You yeah, see a lot of yeah. cargo trains, and some of them are double stacked. Yeah, Just a lot crazy of lumber, to me. a lot of, yeah, things that... Um, coal, coal, believe it or not. Yeah, there's a lot of coal that's being shipped out there. Yeah. Um, but all kinds of things that, you know, you say a lot of the stuff is double stacked on cars now. So yeah. they can they can move so much more tonnage than, yeah. than semi-trucks can. I think the railroad companies had a lot of power in the early days. Um, when we visited... Bannock State Park, which is a gold mine ghost town in Montana. Um, the history of that town was that it was um, a, a big, had a big population and was a thriving town until the railroad came through and chose a different town to route, you know, route the train through and have a train depot at. And Bannock was not on the, on the, on the route. And that just killed the town. Yeah, and it wasn't that far off. But, you know, back back then in the 1800s, um, it was 50 miles, you know. Yeah, you're not going to hop difference. off a train and then what do you do? Walk right. to 50 miles well, to a different town? it was just a matter or? of being able to get your stuff to market. Yeah. You know, it was, yeah, and it did. I think if I remember right, the story about Bannock was it went from practically nobody living there to like 30,000 people living there within an expand of like five years. The railroad decided not to go to Bannock when they ran it through there. And in another seven, eight years, we were back to like 3,000 people. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You wonder what kind of deals and, and, uh, all kinds of promises Politics were made along went into the way. That. Yeah, yeah. yeah, probably some dirty shenanigans. But nonetheless, the railroad is an integral part of the American history. Definitely. And something we should be proud of, I think. Yeah, yeah. So the Grand Canyon Railroad, um, you can hop on the train in William, Williams. Williams, Arizona. Arizona. Yeah, we stayed there. Yeah. Yep. And it would, I didn't realize that you could do this, but you can hop on the train in Williams and it will take you to the Grand Canyon, to the area of the Grand Canyon where there's a couple of um, old national park lodges. Yeah. And I think that's the same area where if you wanted to take a mule 
down into the canyon, you you can get in. It seems like that was the staging area for the mule rides and right. stuff right there, too. Or you can hike down into the canyon yep. from there, too. Um, we had no idea when we were there that that was an option. It seems like it'd be fun, like it would feel like the old days when people traveled in, by train to the West. Yeah, yeah. Um, my research shows that it's $82 per person to ride the train from Williams to um, the Grand Canyon. I assume that's a return ticket, but I, honestly, I'm not sure. I would assume so, too. But like you say, who knows? Yeah. I, You know, I'm not sure. It seems like it'd be fun to do, but I enjoyed having our car. <laughs> yeah. I think if you had time to do it, yeah. And if your plan was to just go to the Grand Canyon and do one of those um, donkey you know, tours or to hike down into the canyon. But um, we enjoyed taking the car and driving the scenic drive that had several scenic overlooks in different places in the south end of the Grand Canyon. So you would probably, unless you were really motivated to hike long, a long ways. Because the trail, I think that the, there is a hiking trail that follows all those scenic spots too. But that'd be a You'd long be, That'd hike. be a lot of hiking. A lot of hiking. Yeah. 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 I've seen a few. Seems like I we were at one of the uh, areas that had information. Some of those hikes were 25, 30 miles. Like they were two day hikes, you know, it was. Oh, at it, least. Yeah. Yeah. At least. I've I, heard. I do know that some people try and hike around the whole rim of the park, but that's just. I think that takes like your whole summer. That would take a whole summer, I would think. Yeah. Yeah, I can't even imagine it. That's no. not my it's not my groove. Nope. I'd like to have time to do things, but I don't want to spend that much time in one place either, quite honestly. That's true. So many places to see. So many places. And Bill and I, I think another um iconic American thing that we should be very proud of and support is our national parks. Definitely. Um we have really enjoyed in the last ten years or so traveling to our national parks and checking them out and yeah yeah and i'm always hearing about national parks and listen to a little backstory on some of them like oh we got to go there we yeah we got to get to that one <laughs> yeah i kind of uh, we follow another podcast called the dear bob and sue podcast they have some books as well and they took a year and traveled. To, did they do it in a year or two years? I think it almost took them two years. They, and they traveled went to, to every single national park. Yes, and that involved even going to the Samoan Islands and yeah. Which after hearing the podcast about that one, we don't need. Yeah, to go probably to that not going to do that ever. <laughs> Actually, I enjoy their podcast because there's a few of them. That's like, okay, don't need to go there. Yeah, they're very informational, and they even say we don't need to go back to that one. We did it. We wanted to do it. Yeah. We're glad we did it, but <laughs> right, right. Um, but they've even they promote uh the some of the, some of the state parks apparently are quite breathtaking as well. So, um, yeah, when you have a chance, get out and check out some of our national lands. They're just amazing what we have to offer in this country and absolutely i think i have grown to love and appreciate the united states even more through spending some time in our national parks they are very special places so our next picture was also taken in a national park in our favorite national park yellowstone and this is a picture of a bison do you remember taking this picture bill I don't know. I think I took it, but yeah, I yeah, I think you took it. But I remember this is one of those pictures we talked about before that we've uh, we've got into this habit of uh, having a wish list for the day when we go into national parks. And I remember you saying this was one of your. Wouldn't it be cool if we saw a big male bison up on one of these bluffs with a beautiful blue sky in the background? Right. And uh, I think we drove two miles and I said, how about this one? And it was perfect. It's exactly what I envisioned. <laughs> this happened to be one of the roads um, going into Lamar Valley, I believe, if I remember right. And uh, some of the road that there's kind of pretty good size. Um, I think it was a Hayden Valley because it has that really steep slope. Yeah. Well, there's well, slopes so going the into Lamar, too. Truth. But uh, 
one of the, but it ended up being a pretty good steep slope off right off the road. And sure enough, here's a a big male bison up up on the ridge with a beautiful blue sky in the background. Gorgeous, and gorgeous. Yeah, I was like, okay. And this is also one of those pictures that's just iconically American. Yes. Um. So the bison have quite a history. They're native animals to America. Although we tried to kill them off. We tried to kill them off. Um, my research so shows that in the late 1800s, uh, the bison were almost driven to extinction. And that where there had been bison that roamed the country all the way from the east to the west, um, it, in the late 1800s, there were less than a thousand that remained. They, I think they estimate it to be a hundred and some bison that had remained at wow. that point. And they realized they needed to do something. And so this is when conservation was in its early days. And um, they, you know, they took, um, they took an effort to restrict the hunting of bison and to make them, put them on an endangered species act, I assume. And um, yeah, they did. And the bison have made a fairly good recovery. Now, certainly they don't roam the country the way they used to. No, they would be a big nuisance if they did that to this day. But they are so impressive they're to see very, when they're out and about. They're huge animals. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of that bridge between dinosaurs and today. Yeah. Yeah. And even the way they look, they're kind of like the back end looks like a nice cow. And the front end looks like a beast. Eh, some beast that from time gone by. And their their feet are hooved and they just look like they're wearing little tap shoes or something. Yeah. Their little ankles, they look like they can't hold themselves. Yeah, they're, they're very top heavy. Yeah, they look very top heavy and they're grazers. And so most of their life, they just spend wandering around and, and eating grasses. Yep. And so you don't, I think some people, tourists in the national parks in particular, think that they're docile animals. But how fast did they say they could run? They can run up to 30 miles an hour. Like you could not outrun a bison. No, you wouldn't decided think, to you know, you hear about bear that can move that fast. Bison can move that fast too. Yeah. So the, the bison in Yellowstone in particular are some of the descendants from that remaining 800 plus bison that um, didn't get wiped out. The original herd. The original herd. And um, guess how many bison are in Yellowstone today? Remember, they were wiped out to the point of less than a thousand in oh, the whole country. There's got to be over ten thousand there now. So Yellowstone has between three thousand and five thousand bison just within the park. I saw twelve thousand. Yeah, it seems like it when you're there. <laughs> almost everywhere you look, you if you don't see a herd of bison, you'll see a lone bison off in the distance. Yeah, you don't drive too. You don't drive very far where you're not seeing at least a single bison. Somewhere. Often we'll look, you know, far out there, and we'll say, "Is is that a big old boulder?" Or and we'll scope it out through the the big zoom lens on the camera or the binoculars, and bison, and it's just a bison just laying down, just take <laughs> taking in the sunshine or whatever, chewing on some grass. Yeah, so taking um, a nap. As a matter of fact, the herd in Yellowstone has gotten so big that they have to manage the herd and they will call the herd down when it gets too big. Um, they auction off some animals. Um, you know, I think sometimes if they're sick or really old, I think that they euthanize them. But um, uh, also there are other national parks and national grassland areas that have also reintroduced bison. I know there's... Um, a national grasslands project in Iowa, another one somewhere in Montana. There's bison in um, Teddy Roosevelt National Park. I would say there's a few different national parks that have bison in them as well. So. Right, right. So uh, that I think is a, an American success story. Not the part where we almost wiped them out, but right, the part right. where we realized that an American treasure could be lost forever and that we needed to take steps to, sure. to recover that. Yep. Another good idea. A good idea that we managed to do right. Yeah. Well, let's hope we don't screw it up. <laughs> right. We, um, every time we're in Yellowstone, and well, anywhere where we see the bison, and we've got hundreds and hundreds of pictures of bison, but 
they never, I never get tired of photographing bison. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember, um, was it a, a year ago in spring when we were in, in Yellowstone and Lauren was touring the park with us one day and we were looking so hard to find, we wanted to see a bison giving birth because we were there during the time where they were dropping their calves all over the place. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. And we saw one on the side of the road in a little grassy area laying down and really panting hard. Yeah. We've talked about this before. Yeah. Yeah. And then 45 minutes later, the man stood up. <laughs> we stood up and realized it was a boy bison. Nope, he's were, not giving birth. He was not giving birth. <laughs> Move on. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Let's go to our next photo. All right. I love this picture. Oh, this is my friend. Two of my best guys. Smokey the Bear. Smokey the Bear. An iconic American, what would you call him? Um, mascot. Mascot. A symbol of safety. Smokey. Fire the, awareness. Fire awareness. Smokey was um, created in the 50s, I think, and maybe even in 1950. Um, by the Ad Council the, uh, of the United States um, to bring awareness to forest fires, right? To how to prevent forest right. fires. How to, yeah, how to, how to treat fire with respect in general. It was based on people camping and putting out fires when they're done. Do you think our kids grew up knowing what Smokey the Bear was? I don't know, but they certainly know about putting out fires. Yes, they do. <laughs> Lauren in particular. Yeah. Oh, West, they have a lot of wildfires, and so they're very aware. This picture was taken of Bill standing next to his friend Smokey the Bear outside of the Grand Canyon. I think that's the real Smokey the Bear, not some plastic thing either. That I'm pretty sure it was the real one. Yeah, how do you feel? Was he soft? Well, he said he was. <laughs> Didn't ask what he was talking about. Smokey was just called Smokey until sometime after the 1950s, somebody wrote a song or a little jingle about Smokey the Bear. And so every ever since then, he's been referred to as Smokey the Bear. And when we were kids growing up, there were advertisements on TV. Smokey the Bear reminds you to would talk about making sure you put out your campfire or. Yeah, I remember being in elementary school and having like um, assemblies where we'd watch a little video of Smokey the Bear. And all the things you need to do for safety of fires. So you don't want to be the one who set the forest on fire. That would be bad. Yes. So Smokey the Bear weirdly wears a pair of blue jeans and a belt with a belt buckle that says Smokey. That's about a foot long. <laughs> huge. I'm going to get one of those. I think you should. <laughs> <laughs> and so in this picture, Bill's got his arm around Smokey. Smokey has a. Also, he wears a hat, a ranger hat that says yeah. Smokey. Yeah. He even had a shovel with him that, that day. So he could take care of fires. I so think he's he just always got ready. done putting out a fire. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, recently on the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, um, they said that, um, and I find this strange and interesting, that the image of Smokey the Bear, which originally was a royalty-free image, later became um, a protected royalty use only image and any money that uh, people paid to use the image of Smokey the Bear was used in, in fire prevention or firefighting. Hmm. But just recently in the most recent uh, legislation CARES Act, there was a little clause in there that took the royalty status away from the Smokey the Bear image and now it's in public domain. So if you want to use a picture of Smokey the Bear and whatever you want to use it, it's free to use. Oh, I can think of so many things I can put on a t-shirt now. <clears throat> oh, boy. <laughs> what will you have Smokey the Bear doing? <laughs> yeah. Wait and see. Honestly, Smokey the Bear was one of those good things that, you know, that the government did by, you know, bringing awareness to... Oh, yeah, to, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And teaching people just to be aware of their actions and that kind of stuff. Do you remember the owl, too? There was an owl that told you not to pollute. Give a hoot. Give a hoot. Don't, don't pollute. pollute. 
Hootie yeah. the Owl? Was it Hootie? I don't know. I but think that yeah, he that was, was the slogan though. Give I think hoot, he was flute. included in the CARES Act also. He now too is in the public domain. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. The possibilities, Bill. Oh yeah. Give a hoot. Yeah. <laughs> All the crazy things. Onward to the next, next picture. Next picture. Ah, the next picture is a picture of our good friend Ron Fuller, who um is uh, a mainstay here at Park of the Pines for a lot of the summer camps. He is a counselor for a lot of the camps. And over the years, um, this picture, by the way, is is showing Ron um, near our flagpole here. He's holding an American flag that has just been folded up. And uh, this is a great this is a great picture to I mean, it's got all the elements. It's got Ron. He's looking off off from the camera, not at the camera. Um, he's being reverent as he's holding the folded American flag. He's wearing a T-shirt that says summer camp and his name tag that says Ron F. Yeah. <laughs> There's something else on that name tag, too. I'm going to blow it up, see if I can see what it says. Ron. Um, oh, it's Park of the Pines Junior High Camp. And then it has a date, which I can't can't read. Doesn't um, matter does not matter. Ron sort of takes it upon himself at the camps that he's a counselor at to um, teach the kids. They start their day with circling the flagpole and they end the day by circling the flagpole. And uh, Ron teaches the kids the etiquette and procedure of raising the flags and lowering the flags and how to fold them and why we do things the way we do them. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. I'm not an overly patriotic person per se, um, but a lot of these kids have never even touched a flag before, let alone learned all of the etiquette that's involved in. Right, right. And so the kids he chooses, Ron chooses different kids every time to to raise or lower the flag, and he shows them what to do and how to do it. And um, it's really it's great to watch the kids, you know, do go through that process. And, you know, show the respect and yeah. 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 Just a little bit of education and a little bit of, uh, like you say, the learning because, yeah, a lot of, a lot of kids just don't, um, a lot of adults don't understand the etiquette of flags and, and um, I think that how they're unless to be flown a, and how they're to be handled. And uh, I think unless you were in the military, you probably could go all through your your life into yeah. adulthood and never actually, I mean, understand. Any are there the other opportunities to raise scouting a flag programs? And, oh, if you're a boy scout or a girl scout. Yeah. Scouting programs taught flags and etiquette of flags and that kind of stuff too. But um, yeah. Yeah. I love this picture. So let's go on to our next picture. All right. So this last picture is a picture of Bill inside of something called the Eben Ice Cave. Um, this is found in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, near Munising, Michigan. There's a small community called Eben, and there's a, um, a place you can go that in the summertime, it's just basically a big rock ledge or rock wall. But um, in the winter, as things freeze up and water drips down and freezes, it creates a cave made out of ice. And it's become quite an attraction. Uh, we've been there several times. And in this picture, Bill is inside of the ice cave, um, standing in front of one of the openings, and the light is shining down on him. I love this picture. Um, but I chose it. Do you know why I chose it, Bill? You make the connection? From our theme for today's Be the Light. Yes. Um, Be the Light. The last. Do you remember the last? Let me pull it up here again the last line the of last the couple lines of we were... the poem are for there is always light if only we're brave enough to see it if only we're brave enough to be it i know that you said right away after we listened to that on inauguration day that that was your favorite part of the poem yeah it just struck me as uh yeah you know to be to be the light to me means to uh be the uh up, uplifting um, 
part of the day if you know if you're in a group of people and and for whatever reason discussion gets to be a downer um to, negative to be, to be the light to uh change the subject or look to the positive in some subject that everybody seems to be very negative on and uh I'm always impressed with people who have the ability to uh find the positive and and things going on cuz you know everybody gets down at some point and everybody struggles with um depression in the winter around here in particular if you don't get outside and and uh become active or stay active it's really easy to let uh things get you down but um it was just impressive that uh this is a good symbol of um be the light or walk into the light i know we talked a little bit about um seasonal depression and seasonal um affect disorder i think is what they call it yeah um that i struggle with myself and uh sunlight changes the way i feel and the way, the way i look at life in general and uh i think that um in light of the last two weeks in the united states the first week when a mob stormed the capitol building and and caused so much damage to um that you know iconic building that represents democracy in our country. Um, and those people were expressing frustration with what they felt was going wrong, but in such a unproductive way. I mean, yeah. everybody is entitled to their, um, you know, political opinions. And we aren't here today to try and persuade anybody to think one, one way political way or another. But I think no matter whether you think more conservatively or more progressively, I think that you can choose to be the light and to see positive steps that you can take to move things forward versus negative thinking and, and yeah, you know, unproductive thinking and, and doing something that only takes us backwards. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, hiding in the in the shadows and in the corner, in the cave, in the darkness. Right. Or you can choose to appreciate, you know, the light and be the light. So that's our little lecture for the day. <laughs> um, but um, a little bit about the Ebon Ice Cave by itself is it's a magical place in the wintertime, isn't it, Bill? Oh, it definitely is. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a challenge to get to. Um, it's a. About a two-mile hike uh, over the river and Feels through like the woods. It miles. seems like it's uh, yeah. It uh, <laughs> I mean, you you park next to a big open farm field and hike about probably a half a mile across. The farm this field is the open. worst part of the hike because it's it although it's flat. There's every single time we've been there, which has been four or five different times. There's usually a gale force wind just it's blowing right at you. It's always there for some reason. And it's yeah. so cold. Yeah. But when you get off of the field back into, you walk um, into a quite a big um, hardwood stand um, that just really cuts the wind. And It's a whole new world. You yeah, get into like the woods and the, it cuts the wind and it's not quite so bad. Yep. And if the wind's blowing or if it's snowing, it seems to not be snowing as bad. It in gets the woods quiet. And it gets quiet. And uh, yeah. So there's um, a pretty good trail to hike to get to the ice cave. Yeah. And the trail itself can be a little bit daunting. Yeah. There's a lot of going in there. There's a lot of up and down. There's some, there's some parts where you can't walk down it. You just got to sit down on your butt and slide down the hill. Right. And then I recommend that pretty much claw your way up the other yeah. side. I do a and, lot uh, of sliding on my butt and crawling around. Yeah. And yeah. I would recommend if you're ever going to go to the Ebon Ice Cave to get some crampons or yak tracks yak or tracks something that you strap brands, on your boots yeah. that give you sort of cleats. Yeah. For the ice. Something for traction. Yeah. If you get a chance to look at this picture of Bill inside of the ice cave, you can see that the floor or the ground inside the cave is pure ice, just thick, pure ice with columns of ice all around. Yeah. Um, Bill is standing up in this picture, but I know we've been inside of the ice cave and just sort of scooted around on our butts. Oh yeah. It's the, yeah. Inside of there in particular, the ice tends to be a lot of times it's a little bit wet. 
So there's a little bit of water on top of the ice, which makes it really slippery. Yeah. You just um, have to go there prepared that yeah. you're going to probably yeah. get a little bit cold. Get, may- maybe get a little bit wet, but maybe get a little you're, you're going to um, maybe get a little bit sore because you might fall down. Or just the hike itself. <laughs> if you're like me and you're not in shape, it's a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, just But it's doable. Just don't be in a hurry. Yeah. Yeah, it's doable. If and we can do it, you can do it. If we can do it, you can do it. Yeah. All right. So we have promised that in season two of our podcast, we are going to end each podcast with a, what would you call it, Bill? A positive story, a happy story. Yeah, uh, something that happened recently that uh, that we feel good about, a uh, positive message in the world. And so I've got a picture here that shows us, and this is a picture of a gentleman that was at the inauguration. And do you know who he is, Bill? I think you probably do now. Uh, I do know who he is now. When I initially saw him, I didn't realize who he was. But as we are watching the inauguration, well, let me back up. The week before when the mob stormed the Capitol, there, um, and a lot of you probably will have seen this video footage of one of the Capitol police officers that the mob stormed in and they sort of went after him and he quickly kind of scurried up a couple of flights of stairs. And the mob followed him and he took a real quick glance to one side and saw that the Senate chambers were not protected and there was doors that were open. And uh, so he sort of gave a little shove to one of the people in the mob to provoke them. And then he scurried off to the opposite side and the mob followed him. So he, in his quick thinking, prevented the mob from actually getting into the Senate chambers um, while they were still senators yeah, and he they actually, in, yep. he actually guided them away from yeah um where the senators were at and in hearing the stories afterwards the senators were still in the chambers when exactly that was going so he on. was a real hero that day yeah and um so he got a promotion after that and was is the sergeant at arms am I saying that correctly Bill sergeant at arms for the senate I believe the senate and on inauguration he was the number two person for security. And he was able to escort Kamala Harris to her seat, vice president. Yes. And uh, when he, when the doors of the Capitol building opened and he came out onto the balcony with Kamala Harris, he got a standing ovation. Yes, that was impressive. People, people recognized him. And I like that they, they um, noted the moment and gave him, gave him his moment in the sun because he was a real hero that day. Um, also, this is something I don't think you did know before this, that his name has been, um, selected or presented for consideration to receive the congressional gold medal of bravery, which I think is a slam dunk. Nice. He's not even a golfer. (laughs) You're right. Right. Just a little side note there. (laughs) Yeah. This is a true American hero and it was so good. That day to see him, of course, dressed in more civilian clothes on Inauguration Day and to have a, um, you know, his little moment in the sun. Right. Right. And I, I heard just a little interview with him and, and, you know, why did you do what you did? And he said, I was just doing, doing my, my job. job. I didn't know. I didn't say it earlier, but his name is Eugene Goodman. Remember that name. He's a good guy. Yes. Yes. So that's it for today. I hope that you feel a little bit inspired and a little proud of your country or proud of the of the United States in your way. If you're from outside of the United States, um, there's there are a lot of problems in the world, in the country. But today we wanted to highlight what's good. Yeah. So thanks for listening in today. And I hope your day is uh, a little bit brighter. And we'll talk to you in two weeks. Yeah. Have a good day. Thanks. 